Persuasive words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Moore. And I'm Adam Morton. Adam Morton is the most Lutheran person I know from Lancaster County. Well, how many people do you know from Lancaster County? A lot. I just don't know many Lutherans. Oh, okay. Very good. So we're here for our Bulgashichta Friday Night Lights edition where we just have people in to chat with us. And... By the way, have you ever gone to the uh, replica of the tabernacle in Lancaster County? No. There's a replica of the tabernacle in Lancaster County, right off Route 30. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think you should probably check that out. Is that, is that near Sight and Sound? Yeah, I've never been to Sight and Sound. I've uh, I've found a way to... Oh. That shocks me. There's not a lot I know about you but we, that shocks me very often. That's, that why, that's why you have a staff. Because when people to church, oh, let's go to Sight and Sound, you go... You send right, somebody else. You send your staff person. I, I'm, I've had. I moved to Lancaster three and a half years ago. I'm not from this part of the country at all. And people come. You know, I say I, I. If I say I've moved in any time the last number of years, worse if they hear I'm, I'm a pastor. Have you been to Sight and Sound? But sometimes even like before that, they don't know anything about me. Have you been to Sight and Sound? Like, I, I barely knew what it was uh, until like five minutes. All right, ago. but have you had slippery pot pie? No. All right, let's go through. Have you had ham loaf yet? Yes. All right. Very good. I'm just doing the uh, Lancaster checklist. Sure. Uh, shoe fly pie? Yes. I've had shoe fly pie. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of anything I've just listed here for you. But anyway, <clears throat> well, good. I'm just, that's good. Well, as since Adam is, is a quintessential Lutheran, and actually... Adam, Am I? I mean, I think you are. That's exciting. Would you say you're not? Would you reject that? that? No, I'm, I'm in several ways probably atypical. Um, especially in this country, and that I'm not really an ethnic Lutheran. But what do you mean you're not really an ethnic Lutheran? I mean the overwhelming bulk of people who are members of Lutheran churches in the United States are of German or Scandinavian heritage, some Slovaks, a couple of others. And I don't really descend from any of those groups in an appreciable way. My family's way into the Lutheran Church was a little circuitous. Uh, we're going to check this out on Ancestry.com right now just to back this up for you. Though. So, uh, but you know, my I have a cousin who is a uh, Lutheran director of Christian education, and I don't, um, I don't know if uh, Shipley. That sounds English to me, but that's what's her. You you, you encounter names. Is she German on the other side, though? Well, she's German on our side, but we were never we were never Lutheran. I mean, you 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 do get them, you do get them. Mm-hmm. So, but. so how did you? I, I'm just because I don't know your story. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you end up in the Lutheran community? Well, I mean, my dad is a Lutheran pastor, but right. he grew up free Methodist. So, oh, that's, right. so it was a move it, to it, something more yeah liturgical. He and, he, you know. he moved into uh, well, he's he's now an ELCA pastor. Well, he's a retired ELCA pastor. He was a help pastor. us. Not everyone knows those initials. Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, it's which is the largest, the, main, the yeah. mainline one. Yes, it's, it's the largest Lutheran denomination in this country. Founded in 1987 out of a merger of three others. 
Uh, it's just under 4 million members, I think, more mm -hmm. or less. My dad was a member before that. He was a pastor in the American Lutheran Church, mm -hmm. one of those denominations, uh, primarily German and Scandinavian. Um, Norwegian, I should say, really. Uh, but he came in through my mom's family, who are mostly Polish and belonged to a very small Norwegian pietist denomination called the Church of the Lutheran Brethren. Wow. And so, yeah, it's interesting how some of these little smaller segments, when they emigrated, brought that with them. And they, you know, there are, you know, there are communities in the Midwest that uh, they were shaped by. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, and you went to seminary where? I went to seminary at Luther in St. Paul. Okay. All right. Very good. And what would you say is the most interesting movement in Lutheranism right now, at least in North America? I'm not going to make you The most interesting movement. That's honestly the most interesting movements right now in Lutheran theology in North America are going on outside of institutional Lutheran circles. Well, that's probably true for a lot of denominations. It, it probably is. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, my opinion of institutional Lutheranism in this country, and I don't want it to die, it's not that, but is that it's very sick. But then, and I don't know that you could say there's a healthy institutional denomination in existence right now. You're probably right. My yeah. perception, maybe it's because I'm on the inside, sure. is that the Lutheran churches are more inward-looking and more conflicted with themselves than most right now. Um, yeah. It's a little sad to me. Yeah, yeah, I would, yeah. I think, of course, and you, you're used to what you know, but I do think that is a, if you took temperatures with Methodists, Presbyterians... We, we'd all agree on this, yeah, huh? Yeah, we'd all agree on Well, that. that's nice. Yeah. We have something... <laughs> deeply in common here. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I do think it's not only it's it's in part the institution's fault. Mm -hmm. We can go back to you know you pick a generation to blame, <clears throat> which I think is both helpful and unhelpful. But right. I also think, I mean, the postmodern moment is also a post-Protestant moment, and I think that that's uh, because they're so modernity and Protestantism are so inter intertwined. So I do think. Um, and you throw in the all the anti-institutional stuff that's happening in this country on both the left, the right, and everything in between. Although Scott told me today on the phone there is no middle anymore. So, Yeah, that's it. An article I found about how there's no real political middle in the country. Yeah. So we'll talk about that some other time. At some but, other time, yeah. So, so you're a young pastor. I don't know how old you but you seem young to me. I'm, I'm, I'm less young than I look. I'm 38. But All right. Well, it's young for me right now. And it's young for you too, Scott. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not – <laughs> not to the degree it is for you. Yeah, I know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So you're, uh, how long have you been ordained? Three and a half years. So you're on the, still in the, very much the first stage of your career. I am. And so you are pastoring in an institution that you've diagnosed is at best inward turned and self-imploding. <laughs> at yeah, best. Don't at best. No, that's right. That's right. What can you say that's nice right. about the nomination? Well, we're inward focused. And self-imploding. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, everybody. I'm here on Thursday. <laughs> um, but, uh, and by the way, I, it's because of Adam that I passed on that Facebook comment I saw this week by Jordan Cooper, which was that Kierkegaard is overrated. Yeah, he's a friend of yours, I hear. Oh, my God. I, I am. He and I do not know each other. I don't think he knows my name. If he does, that's fine. I have had limited engagement, not with him, but with some of his friends and associates. And 
in the interest of politeness, I'm not going to say any more than that. All right, um, good. Yeah, I, yeah. Kierkegaard was overrated. I mean, Jesus was kind of a failure too. If you're going to, this is true. Know, you're going to look at that. So. What the hell did that Abraham Lincoln do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His bedroom's a dump. It's a dump. <laughs> it hasn't been renovated in years. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear there's there's a, a move to take Lincoln's head off of um, Rushmore and replace it with Trump. It's only in Trump's mind is that move, but it's been it's been thought about. I'm sure. I, I am. I'm sure. Just yeah. think of sculpting that hair in marble. Boy, I'd rather not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I bet if you're a sculptor, it's a challenge. You might it'd be, even look it'd forward to. It'd be a project. To. I mean, it's definitely a project. Yeah, so. I think there are probably something we can preschools all over this country can start working on. <laughs> Such as it is, uh, nevertheless. We're taking a quick break to ask you a question, which you can interpret as you wish or will. Do you like this podcast? Do you love it? Do you just listen to it to shout at us? But do you want it to keep going? If so, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor. If you do, whatever your motivation, we will read your name out on the thank you roll call, which will begin right now. Thank you, David Winona Babico, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan Morseberger and Josh Redder. Thank you all for being my Patreon sponsors. If you want to sponsor this podcast and help keep this content that you enjoy coming out, please just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. And there you can find information about how to give. If you give just five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on this podcast and help develop some future podcast projects that will be unfolding in the future. Thanks again to sponsors. And please, if you like this podcast, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor. And now back to the show. So I want to start with this quote, which I think, Adam, you would ringingly endorse this, right? I'm, uh, I'm going to read it and, and you tell me. You're setting me up, but sure. All right. So this is by Stephen Paulson. It's called, from a, the introduction to a book called Lutheran Theology, parentheses, doing theology. Lutheran theology begins perversely by advocating the destruction of all that is good, right, and beautiful in human life. It attacks the lowest and the highest goals of life, especially morality, no matter how sincere are its practitioners. Yeah, I do actually endorse that. Bill, I'm sure you concur. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, that's, um, yeah. I, I'm taking that as no... <laughs> You don't concur. <laughs> I don't concur, but, you know, I've always had a deep appreciation for Manichaeanism anytime it shows up. So, so you know, I, my, uh, my love for Brother Augustine uh, uh, is, uh, has the same kind of flavor that uh, my love for Brother Luther does. It's not Manichaean, though. No, there's no dualism there. There's no dualism. It's all from God. It's all, that's right. So, it's... No, it's it's not. So you you have the the god Marcion wanted to to destroy it. You, you have a, you've brought Marcion's we, god we, back. We we have them both yeah. in in one. Yeah, very nice, very that's, nice. That's that's it. So well, why don't you? Since this is your, uh, since you're embracing the, your tradition here, why don't you expand on why you are embracing this wonderful phrase? Sure. I mean, it, it sounds crazy, right? You know, here, let's set up all the actually good things in the world. And and, and let's say, be fair yeah. too. There's a lot of people. In your tradition, right, in the ELCA and in the Missouri Synod. Sure. Which would probably think this would, would not re- 
steadfastly endorse this, right? Uh, the people that think Gerhard Forda is the heretic of heretics. Uh, Ferdy. And Ferdy. Yes. Yeah. I say Ferdy. I go probably, you can. He pro- didn't, but... Probably Melanthanin would not fully embrace this. Philip would not have loved that remark. Right. Um, this is... You mean the man who saved Lutheranism, that guy? Well, and, and it saved and then partially destroyed. Um, uh, on the other hand, Luther himself might have, and Matthias Flacius might have thought it was delightful. Can you tell us what year Luther would have liked that? Give, give us a context on the time. <laughs> Honest, I think any time from mid-1517 on. No, I, I think that's – I think I, – well, I disagree. I mean, I'm, who am I to disagree with a Luther scholar? I think, I think a younger Luther would, would not have said that. He's already moving into territory, and the, I think the Heidelberg Disputation already shows something of this flavor. Maybe not, maybe not as as, as right. completely as that, but by by the early fifteen twenties, that's well, he was certainly he's there. He was pushed to that point, rhetor- yeah. Rhetorically, I, I think. I mean, that's one thing. I think some of the stronger statements like this from Lutheranism is shaped in Luther's polemic, in part by. As much shaped by his opponents as his own positive thinking. Oh yes, and in fact, yeah. he says as much. Yeah. Uh, he actually pinpoints uh, the, the great scholar on the sort of early development of Luther. On this is Oswald Bayer, uh, who, in a book that I think comes out next year in English, called uh, it was published many years ago, but is finally being translated, called Promissio. It was his doctoral dissertation, and he's trying to hone in on sort of the early. It sounds like a. Sounds sounds like, like arcology. This is the Latin word for promise. <laughs> but, oh, I was going somewhere else. Oh, I yeah. thought you said permissio, not promissio. 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 Oh, oh, I thought okay. permissio. It sounded right. it sounded like uh, a women's fragrance. It's like on Saturday Night Live <laughs> when they were saying Ivanka Trump Trump was coming out with a, a new fragrance. Right. Complicit. Yet, <laughs> She's complicit. Permissio. Promissio. So, pro, so, the, so the, the sort of what, what Bayer calls the reformational breakthrough in Luther. Isn't that an awkward word, reformational? Um he sees coming particularly in Luther's conversation, really his interrogation by Cardinal Cayetan at the Diet of Augsburg in 1518, right. in October of 1518. He puts that as sort of the critical moment because Cayetan is pressing Luther on his explanation to, I think, the seventh of the 95 theses. Right. Cayetan is trying to get him to say exactly what he says. Right. And and, and, and he, Luther says it and even more strongly. Yeah. And, and, and from that point on, there's no looking back. Not for, not for Luther's good does he want him to say that. But, uh, no. But uh, thanks to uh, thanks to the prince and other things, uh, Luther lived to write more. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and as it, he, he later on will credit, he says, I, I could not have become – Anything like this is a theologian without my opponents. So right. some thanks are due to them. Let me just let me explicate a little more because sure. Paulson says, Nor is this radical attack merely a warning like Socrates not to practice morality to impress others, but to adhere to virtue and wisdom with a true feeling of the heart, come what may, even unjust death by legal means. Lutheran theology begins not as an attack on our lack of knowledge of the good, it is attacking the good itself along with the hearts of righteous people who, proving themselves to be wise, become fools. Romans one twenty two. The first task of theology is to witness to sin and make it so and make it great, so great that it kills. Yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Bill? Thumbs, I mean, not so much. <laughs> I mean, how could you give a thumbs up to that, right? Thumbs up. That sounds wonderful. The key there in the whole remark is that Lutheran theology begins perversely with this. Uh, the other way of putting it is this is an expression of Luther's understanding that there are two 
fundamentally different kinds of righteousness, both of which come from God, but only one of which will finally stand before God, and that the righteousness of the law, which this is speaking of, that is, the highest of our morality and virtue. Which is being looked after by Jeff Sessions right now. It's nice of him, isn't it? I mean, for the time, such as it is. I feel safer. Not if you got weed in your pocket, you know. That Right. I mean, understand, Steve Paulson, when he writes this, and Luther, when he said things of this form, isn't saying these things aren't good. He means they actually are good. But the first charge of a preacher is to speak a word that condemns all that is not faith in Christ. And then the second word is to deliver an absolutely new righteousness with no law in it whatsoever. At what point do you do the announcements? Where do the announcements come in, though? Where do the announcements come in? Well, in this <laughs> kind of preaching. We're having a car wash. But is it a car wash in faith? Not, if not, it's out! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can say it really, really briefly. Um, for example, you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Uh, that's, that's a brief, brief statement of two fundamentally different and contrasting realities. Although I, I just got back from the doctor and I'm in pretty good shape, he said. Well, there you go. So other than that, but, uh, well, <laughs> now let me ask this question. I mean, I, what, you, you said these are the first questions or the first things a Lutheran pastor needs to do. What, why couldn't you start out? Mm-hmm. Now, I know these are part of the implications of the theology sure. of the cross. Mm-hmm. But why couldn't you not start out with the revelation of God in Christ? Why can't that be the first word and these be secondary corollaries? It's an interesting question. And rhetorically, there might be. Bill only asks interesting questions. I mean, if you're asking, is there a rhetorical way to accomplish that and do it effectively? Sure. The question here becomes what does the revelation of God in Christ do? What does it mean to this old world? And Jesus himself doesn't seem to have been shy about the fact that it spelled the end of this old world. Um, He's pretty upfront about that. So when we say it begins, what we mean is a proper ordering of two things, that a righteousness apart from the law can't really be grasped until the law has been taken to its absolute limit, which is that it kills everything that is not in Christ. So there's no third use of the law for your... For your framework. What an interesting question for you to ask me today. You don't know that over the last week and change, there has been a, I'm not going to say raging because that makes it sound sort of more important than it is, a sputtering and rather pathetic Facebook debate on this topic among a bunch of Lutheran pastors. I'm sorry I missed that. Yeah, you, good for you. <laughs> good for you. Uh, you're a better man for it. Uh, nothing has been learned by anyone. Yeah. What's that word that, uh, from uh, uh, Billy Madison after he answers one question? And we are now now more stupid because of that answer. Yes, yeah. that's that's exactly what happened. Right. What's happened to all of us? Um, last week, I probably still had a brain in my head. The careful answer to this. Let me give the incautious. We've never. Answer first. Yeah, go ahead. Let that's, me give the totally this, incautious. This answer is Friday. First. That's that's no. Yeah, there's yeah. Third you use. were here Tuesday afternoon, right? We You're completely parsed out. No, there's <laughs> no third use in Luther. Third use is nonsense. Okay. Now, yeah, all right, that's let me give the slightly the, is, is more the third answer. use to knock you on your ass again if the second use didn't do it? <laughs> <laughs> let me give the slightly cautious answer. The slightly cautious answer is that Article Six of the Formula of Concord 
takes up the issue of the third use because it had been a ma- become a matter of contention among Lutheran pastors in the generation after Luther and Melanchthon had died. Uh, Melanchthon in particular had insisted on it. Well, Melanchthon has his hand in the Heidelberg Catechism. Yes. Yeah. And this was noticed. And so they have to come to some kind of an agreement or else they were going to tear each other apart. And they really were close to just absolutely disintegrating. It was such a happy time. It wasn't it? That late 16th century or 17th century. It it, it must have been miserable. The good old days. The good old days. Right. They worked it out so much that 30 million people died in Central Germany. But that's not – I'm not blaming the Lutherans for that. At least some Lutherans were responsible Some Lutherans were involved in it. I'll say it once. I've said it again. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. (laughs) Yeah. And the second truth is like it unto it. It's, Can you get Oliver Stalin. North for this? Uh, it, it, it's Stalin. Sometimes you have to podcast? kill the people to save the people. Yeah, that's right. There we go. So you can get a new people. There we go. There we are. That's right. Sounds almost like Luther there. Um, the very careful answer that is cobbled together there. Isn't it true that Steve Bannon wrote his Luther speech about the peasant revolt? Is that true? <laughs> I have no idea. Did he? <laughs> no. I don't think so, but he might have. <laughs> if okay. Steve Bannon wrote something about can the I, German I, Peasants Revolt, I need to I read guess, it. How many people just – there may be six people who ever listen to this that will find that funny, what I just said. But, but, yeah. But and you and I are two of them. So, <laughs> some people will be mad some are, that you're insulting Steve Bannon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why, why? He's the Thomas Munzer of our generation, Scott. Um <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope that's how it works out that's right uh, <laughs> now we lost two more of those six <laughs> I am afraid we did uh, the Munster fans yeah, um, yeah. that's what it, that, uh, well we've got uh, Fitch Fitch is yeah Anabaptists going wild man that's, <laughs> if any of today's Anabaptists are friends of Munster that would be that would be shocking to me but that, that would endear them to you though <laughs> you would no like not really that would be you know good Come on, what kind of Anabaptist would you like more than a good Munsterite? Wow. Yeah. Come uh, on, that's that's, that's good muscular Christianity. Our, 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 our Anabaptist neighbors in Lancaster County are, well, they're good neighbors. I'll put it that way. Um, Fresh eggs. All sorts of things. It wouldn't be half as interesting a place to live Shoe fly pie. Shoe fly pie. Apple which is, butter. Which is pretty old. Apple they, some butter. of them make really outstanding ice cream, by the way. There's a Mennonite dairy farm that we go to. It's real cream going on there. I grew up in... Dairy for country. That's good stuff. Yeah. It's part of why I had to go to get my EKG today, too. <laughs> Our friend Greg Strawbridge knows a, an Amish guy who has a software company. And he had, <laughs> well, it's all leased. The devil doesn't mind if you rent or lease. You just can't own it. They just can't have the pink I'm slip. sorry. That, that wasn't the setup to a joke? No. No. He even has a driver that picks him up. He, just, he has a software company. Yeah, but like he doesn't own any of the computers or anything. The uh, the Valvatorian. It's all leased. The Valvatorian of my class when I went to high school. I love it. Was um, he was an Anabaptist? He was Church of the Brother, Conservative Church of the Brother, mm-hmm. and he didn't go to college, but he had the first computerized dairy farm in Pennsylvania. He was brilliant, and he uh, productivity before before he, before most of us knew what they were. He was computerizing his dairy. Oh, farm. there's some really smart people out there. Yeah, very so interesting. Anyway, anyway, so. anyway, so this third use of the law thing. So they come to this very carefully crafted answer. And basically, this is not the Facebook group. This, this is, is not the Facebook. <laughs> this is this is the actual theologians working extremely hard in the 1570s to try to pare this down to an answer everybody can agree on. 
and they will accept the notion of a third use of the law if all it really means is that we continue to preach the first and second use of the law to Christians. And so, in particular, all it does is attack the old man that still hangs out in me, even after conversion, and disabuses me of the notion of sort of fake good works that I might construct for myself, extra spiritual ones. As such, it's just the regular old law. Right. Let me just let me read right. one more passage, which sort mm-hmm. of goes along with this in mm-hmm. Paulson, in this little intro here. This is already no ordinary philosophy about life, nor is it ordinary Christian religion, upon which Bill would agree, I think. <laughs> For thousands of years, Christians routinely described life using an allegory of the Hebrew exodus from Egypt. They said life in general, and Christians in in particular, were on an exodus out of vice and into virtue. They were on a journey away from badness toward goodness. But Luther bluntly said, faith is not a transition from vice to virtue. It is the way from virtue to the grace of Christ. Once again, I'm going to guess thumbs up. The Russian judge. Oh, I'm going to thumbs up on that. I think that's wonderful. Now, I want to Luther, say- uh, 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 Bill gives it to John McCain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, but let me, <clears throat> the polemic Luther. Mm-hmm is so fun to read, okay, uh, and uh, some of the best theological zingers of all time. Uh, frequently profound, uh, and I think a necessary corrective in some ways, to, many ways, to late medieval. I hear a butt coming. Uh, you, you're, it's coming. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying... Bill that... likes big butts and he cannot lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know so much a butt. Um, I mean, you know... <laughs> What did Luther have that Stoplitz didn't have, other than a, a good conscience? And German princes. That's an interesting question. Um, I mean, the, Luther, here's a better question. What was lacking from Stoplitz? What was yeah, lacking in Stoplitz? Which I would say nothing. Luther and it, Luther is very careful when answering this kind of question himself, because if you'd asked him the question even more broadly than Stoplitz, and he'll say he learned this from Stoplitz. Right. He learned grace alone. He did. And clinging to... The righteousness of Christ alone. Yes, from his Catholic spiritual director. He did, and he and Luther is insistent until the end of his days that everything good in the church and everything he believes is present in the Roman Church. Otherwise, where would he have gotten it from? Okay. Right. No, it's that, that's true. Possible. Yeah, and that, often you don't read those sections right. of him, but they, right. he does. Yeah, my favorite, one of my favorite quote. He says, "Let's not be wrong. There's many as many sinners on our side." As theirs. Mm-hmm. So it, the humility of Luther is not often quoted. Right. He's, he's not going to claim that his people are more virtuous than no. Catholics or something. But no, he doesn't but believe it, that. No, right. Uh, in fact, what, if he's well, no, he doesn't believe virtue, anyone. He doesn't believe anyone's really, virtuous. Right. Definitely not more right, virtuous. No, than virtue they are. is not the right word, but uh, right. Although he'll use that word too. Right. Right. But right. It, he'll it, use it in a positive sense. Yes. Yes. And it is a positive thing. Even here, it's a positive thing. He well, means my, virtue is a good thing. All right. And some of the works that are not as read as some of the common. It sounds like he has a very active doctrine of sanctification. Yes. Okay, but it sounds very different from the polemic you get in you know, some of the disputations, as well as those, some of those key wor- works that he writes during that you know, four-year period. Three the, year, four the, year. You know, it's an interesting thing, this relationship between the more pastoral writings and the hardcore polemics. I am somewhat disinclined to push them apart, not least because I see places in the polemical writings where he's doing his hardest pastoral care work. Uh, there are passages like that in Bondage of the Will. There are 
But he's young then, too. Well, Bonnie's Wells a little He's older. a middle-aged man at that point. What year? Um, Bonnie's Wells. Bonnie's Wells, 1525. He was born in 1483. That's right. So you think so, of him being younger, but this was an older. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, or in the 1535 Galatians commentary where he says explosive things left and right. Yes. But it is also deeply pastoral. Uh, Luther is, and at times, even in his pastoral letters, he says things that are even somewhat more jarring well, I, than some I, of these. I think you could say his whole theology it, is driven from a pastoral concern. It, it is, and, that, and that, that's Staupitz's influence. Yeah. That is something he did get. Um, I think what he would say is that Staupitz and some of the others were not, because of circumstances, able to see what they needed to walk away from. Uh, and in fact, as Staupitz dies not too far into this. I'm trying to remember when he died. 15, in the early 1520s. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. make it too far in. Now, he was never willing to take that no. extra step with Luther. No. Um, but there is a difference between saying all necessary and good things are present here in this teaching and saying, but they're mixed in with things which at times are going to create inconsistencies that are going to be very problematic. Bill and I, that's the preface to every podcast episode. <laughs> that we, that we release. Well, we even, even, that's, that's our disclaimer to all of our listeners. Even if our theology is not uh, Lutheran, our ethos always is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, to, it, for, for Luther, this is just the flip side to saying grace alone and Christ alone. Sanctification by that work of the Holy Spirit alone. Right. Is that therefore every other kind of virtue finally has to die. Right. So only this lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds aggressive and polemical, but it can also sound sweet and pastoral in the right moment. How is that different from Aquinas saying that when when God rewards our merit, He's crowning our own His own work? I mean, it's a different time period, different philosophical background, but I don't think you have to say there's anything essentially different there. I think the difference comes in, especially in the discontinuity between the old and the new man which is not a particular feature of Aquinas, and it absolutely is in Luther. Um, right. Death and resurrection. The, the, the apocalypticism of Luther is not a thing for Aquinas. Um, so you have a relationship between, or if you wanted to put it in terms of grace and nature, that is synthetic. Grace crowns and completes and uh, it, it, nature in a way. Luther has to be... A little different on this. Ultimately, nature is set free by grace, but it is set free only by the destruction of all that is old. Do you think, and then Quine, a new creation arising? Well, that's like the Republican position on Obamacare. It <laughs> exactly, can only, it can only be set free. First, you have to kill it. <laughs> you got to kill it. <laughs> Do you think? Uh, of course, maybe Luther. I feel like this the best political commentary I've had in months. Bill has been in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, that's an. I mean, there's no evidence that Luther ever read Aquinas. He crit- critiqued him, but there's no evidence. It is very much debated. Right. Um, if yeah. he did, he probably didn't read him at great length. On the other hand, I have found efforts to make Luther agree with Aquinas, especially on these points, rather unconvincing because you end up having to drop out significant elements of Luther. Again, thinking. we could say this about the current president. There's no evidence. <laughs> that he's ever read, and if he has read, he's not read at great length. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, other than t- tweets. Yeah. So what's what's the good word Lutheranism has? You you uh, you've already uh, buried your institution, so probably your career's over if anyone hears that. But that's okay. No, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It works out. Uh, you know, it's well, your apocalypticism. That's your apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, 
I do love. May your career go the way of the old man and Obamacare. You know something I think that that often is law. I mean, Luther did not necessarily believe that his movement was going to be successful. That was part of the apocalyptic, you know. That's right. That's and right. I think there's that. I think the loss of that apocalyptic framework for some of what he says. I I think it looks different when you when you when you view um, his sense of what was what was what was going on and. And there was not a triumphalism in at all in him. Well, I mean, that's it. Is I see a lot of anxiety over the loss of institutions within sort of my own circles, especially from pastors and theologians who would more agree with you on continuity between Luther and Aquinas. And I think the reason for that. Well, I, I wasn't is, saying there is. I was just no, asking. No, no, but 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 there are some who actually would argue for it. I've yeah. I've read some. And even if that's not your position, I don't mean to suggest right. anything about. It. I don't know your theology well enough to comment. Um, uh, uh, neither do I. So. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. I, I know because I beat you to it. it it's so, but in general, because they believe that the there's more of a sense that the institution, that the visible church and all of its elements can be built up. They find the failure of these things absolutely shocking. They find the failure of their congregations to display any meaningful form of sanctification somewhat shocking. They find the decline of morals in the United States somewhat shocking, and maybe it should be to us, and I think Luther would say it probably is, but it isn't unexpected. Right. And finally, what the kingdom of God is not to needs is not to piggyback on all of these worldly virtues, however good they are, but to arrive in the form of the preaching of a kingdom that comes even without our asking for it, um, all on its own, just in Jesus Christ. It's a good word there. I am thinking of that um, part in um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where um, George Clooney's character says, well, ain't in a small world, spiritually speaking. Pete and Delmar just been baptized and saved. I guess I'm the only one that remains unaffiliated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, well, there we go. We said it all. Could I, so could you sign off? Let me get out a Presbyterian mediating figure. Bill is reformed Mm -hmm. such as he is. (laughs) Bill, a couple months ago. (laughs) Yeah. Such as he is. A generous Orthodox reformed. So the great, Presbyterian pastor, theologian, Eugene Peterson, who's for a couple weeks there was one whose name I had to listen, he shall not be named. But I mean, Peterson says that discipleship, Christian discipleship is focusing more and more on Christ's righteousness and less and less on our own. Yeah. There we go. There we go. And we all, we often are, although you told me last week that Robert Jensen is Gravely ill. Yeah, he's not doing well, I've heard. Anyway, but he is our favorite living theologian, I think. Uh, so there is a breadth of Lutheran. And again, as I said off mic, uh, Dr. Karlfried Froelich was a great influence on me at Princeton Theological Seminary. And well, I'm, I'm Luther College and Luther Seminary, same as Robert Jensen. So our, 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 our educational profiles are oddly similar in that respect. You're Lutheran born, Lutheran bred, and when you die, you'll be Lutheran dead. <laughs> And with that, we sign off. Heaven and we'll watch them fall. They stand in the way of love and we will smoke them all with an intellect and a savoir faire. No one in the whole universe will ever compare. I am yours now and you are mine and together we love through all. 
space and time, so don't cry. One day all seven will die. Oh, oh. 